Welcome to those of you who are watching online today or just tuning in. I have uh, I've long thought, I have long thought that if we wanted to toughen up the next generation, we should bring back some of the playground equipment that we had when I was a kid, you know. I think that would really toughen up our next generation. And we learned some things, uh, and there's some reasons why that we don't have these uh, playground equipments anymore. But do you remember this first one here? This was the, the slide. I mean, this was a real thing. This looks just like the one that was uh, at my playground at my elementary school. And I mean, I think about this now, and I'm thinking, like, yesterday was my, or, uh, my grandson's fifth birthday, and he climbs up these plastic ladders that are like this tall, and I'm like, be careful, be careful. <laughs> I was six years old, little Johnny climbing 25-foot ladder up here, you know, to get up to this thing, and then, and then we didn't even always slide, we didn't always slide down the slide, we would try to use that other pole as the fireman's pole, you know, I mean, it just, I just look at that, and I kind of crack up at that, but the intention was for this piece of equipment is that Kids would come and they would line up one at a time. They would climb the ladder safely and they would slide after experiencing the atmospheric pressure change. They would <laughs> slide down the slide, you know, and then, and then they'd go back in line and the other child would go up. That was the intention for whoever designed this thing. But the reality was the whole class would start climbing the ladder at the same time and then they would start sliding down this this hot skillet that could cook bacon on it by the time it got to the bottom, you know. And then when you did get to the bottom of this thing, you had three other kids bearing down on top of you. But we learned some things. We learned that, you know, you need to get out the way because you're going to get hit if you don't. That's a life lesson that every pedestrian in Venice needs to know, you know. I mean, I think, you know, I really, I really think that... Uh, Bringing back some of these equipment would really help us toughen up this generation. Hey, the next one. You remember this next one? was The, the seesaw? Remember the seesaw? You know? <laughs> the intention was, the intention was by the designer that two equally sized children would get on each end, you know, and they would gently learn the basic physics of what a first class lever is using a fulcrum in the middle for balancing, you know? That was what the intention was. The reality is about five children would pile on each side and try to throw the other children off, and whoever stayed on were the, was the winner, you know. And then if you were playing with some unscrupulous children, then they would, you know what would happen, they would leave you up at the top and they would jump off, right? <laughs> but we learned some things through that. I mean, our generation, we learned how to combat roll to keep from crushing your legs when you fall, you know. Then we had the jungle gym. You remember the jungle gym? Yeah, yeah. This is like <laughs> hard concrete underneath it. It's like climbing on scaffolding that a construction crew would use to work on tall buildings, you know. But the intention was to have a few children at a time climbing on the thing, using their upper body strength to go from one bar to the next bar. That was the intention. The reality was 
Kids would race to the top and then dangle upside down from their legs while 10, 12 feet off the ground. And then all the classmates that were too afraid to climb on it were actually underneath, which was way more dangerous than being on top because of all the kids that would fall on top of you. But what we learned from it was this. We learned that we better have some friends below us to break the fall when we slip. There's actually a spiritual lesson with that. But let's go to the next one, the merry-go-round. My favorite. The merry-go-round. Now, they may have some of these still in existence today, but if they do, they've put governors on them to keep them from spinning so fast. But the intention was that a few kids would get on near the edge while a few other kids would gently turn you in a circle so you would feel the inertia demonstrating Newton's second law of rotation. That was the intention. But the reality was the entire second-grade class would pile on the thing while three sixth graders that you thought were grown men would turn this thing as fast as they could and kids would just start from the inertia. The kids would just zing, 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 you know. They would just throw you off. What we learned is actually this, that if you moved to the center point, <laughs> you like that? If you move to the center point of the wheel, you could avoid the inertia effect allowing you to stay in the game while everyone else was thrown off into oblivion, spinning out of control. Albeit, when you did move to the center, you would be quite dizzy, but you would still be able to stay on. Here's the life lesson. Here's the life lesson, if I can. Uh, this is actually one of the very basic lessons that we need to learn in our spiritual life. It comes from there you go around right there. If your life seems to be spinning out of control, you should move to the center. Move to the center of God's will for your life. If we want to fight the inertia, we want to fight this effect of the inertia that's happening around us, even in our culture, in this life that's pulling us away, that's dragging us further and further from God, simply moving to the center and allowing God to do his best work yet in our lives and I think all of us would agree that there are times in our lives when we just feel like we're out of control we feel like it's just spinning too fast and I'm having trouble hanging on here and it feels like we're just going to fly off unless we come up with a better strategy and the Bible talks about this the Bible didn't have they didn't have uh, these kinds of, of playground equipment in, in the Bible but the Bible talks about this analogy sort of in a different way from when it was written, it was talking about it in regards to a potter and a piece of clay. And every potter, I've always wanted to be, a, I've always wanted to get my hands in, in that, literally. Uh, every potter who shapes pottery with a wheel will tell you that after choosing the clay, the first thing that you need to learn, and the first thing you need to do is to be able to center that clay right on the potter's wheel and if you don't center that clay it doesn't matter how good of a potter you are if you don't have that clay centered as the master artist you're not going to be able to get the vessel to become this beautiful vessel that you want it to be without the clay being in the center of the wheel now i've often thought uh, what are the limitations of god are there any limitations to god are there? It's probably a strange question. And our initial thought or our initial answer of that is, no, there's no limitations to God. God can do whatever he wants. He doesn't have any limitations. 
I want to propose to you that I don't think that's entirely accurate. Uh, I actually think from what I read in the scripture that God has actually put some limitations on himself. I think so. Uh, For instance, uh, the Bible says that when we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness from God, it says that God forgives us. Then it says he doesn't even remember it anymore. And that's what's so cool about this. Because not only does God not only does God forgive us of our sins, but it seems as if he has limited his own power or he has this ability to go beyond what we're able to do miraculously and he forgets our sin. That's amazing when you think about that quality and that attribute about God. God says in Isaiah, he says, I, yes, I alone, God, will blot out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again will never think of them again. And I want to tell you, some of you, I think, need to hear that this morning. I think so. Some of you have been having trouble forgiving yourself while God has actually already forgiven you for what you've asked him to forgive you for. And if I hear one thing that's sort of constant in our rooted sessions, in our rooted groups, is that people will say, you know, I, I, I need to forgive this person, and I'm not having any problem forgiving them. I can forgive them for what they're doing. What I'm having problems with I'm having trouble forgiving myself. And I think that's a big challenge with us sometimes. And yet God says that he forgives us and doesn't even remember it. Paul says this in Hebrews, and God says, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. Think about that. I will never again remember their sins. If God doesn't remember our sins, then we need to not be dwelling on and remembering our sins. I I mean, it's okay to remember your sin only for the standpoint of, okay, I don't ever want to go back there again. I want to remember my sin as a point of reference, like a rear view mirror, like a small rear view mirror in the background going, okay, I want to make sure I don't fall in this same trap or go down this same path again. So that's one good reason to kind of remember that. And then also to remember how far and how great God's grace and mercy is in forgiving you of that sin. But that's the only point of reference that we should ever have for our past sins to make sure that we don't do them again and to remember how great the Father's love is for us. But then we look ahead and we forget about what is behind and we strain towards what is ahead knowing that God has forgiven us for that sin and we start with a clean slate. Here's another one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified, justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. That key word there is justified. I I love this word justified. I love it even more. In the last few months, I learned this from Pastor Phil. Uh, I I did a message where I, I preached justified, and he came up and he said, you know how I remember justified? He goes, it's just as if I'd never sinned. I love that. And I have just been hanging on that. Every time I hear the word justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. Think about that, how powerful God is that he has said, I'm going to forgive you. Not only that, I'm not even going to remember it anymore. So when you go and you're like me, I've had things that I have trouble forgiving myself on the things that I've done. And so you look back on that and you go, oh, God, forgive me for 
pulling my sister's hair, you know? And he goes, okay, you're forgiven, my son. And then three days later, you go, oh, God, forgive me for pulling my sister's hair. And God goes, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even remember any of that because I've wiped it clean. Your slate is clean. So some of you, I think, really, I think some of you need to hear that, that you need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive yourself. And if you're someone who's having trouble forgiving themselves, and the best way to get to the point where you can forgive yourselves is move to the center. Move to the center of God's will for your life. Because the more that you're in the center in God's will, the more you start understanding the nature of God. That's critical for us. It's important for us. It's, it's our whole mission statement. We're move, moving closer and closer to God. Our goal is to help people move closer and closer and closer to God. And the more you understand the nature of God, the more you'll start forgiving like God forgives, even when the forgiving that needs to be done is in your own life for the, for the own things that you've done, right? All right, so that's about the forgiveness section. That's kind of a limitation of God. Is he, 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 uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe limitation is not the right word there, but he chooses anyway not to remember completely. Another limitation of God is he can't sin. God is holy, he is just, and he cannot sin. We won't get into that for today. But here's another limitation of God in this, that God has given us the freedom to choose whether or not we're going to follow him. And if we are living outside of God, or if we're living outside of God's will completely, or if we're on the edges of the merry-go-round, so to speak, he will not force us to choose him. If he did, if he did, we would simply just be puppets here on earth. And that would not be a true sense of love out of choice that we love God. Now, in, in saying that, some of you, if some of you are really deep level students of God's word, you know that there's, a, there's some theological debate among some Christians among this topic of whether we choose God or whether God chooses us in his sovereignty. In fact, churches and denominations have split over this very issue in this very topic and I would just say that that saddens God because that was not the intent for this miraculous ability that God has um, to be able to marry these two truths together here are the two truths and this is the way I wrestle with it and like this is a very complex issue for those of you again I don't want to confuse you if you're new to the Bible that you probably don't have a clue what I'm talking about here but if you've been a deep level student you, you maybe have an idea of this but here's I believe that God is absolutely 100% sovereign he knows all, he is all, he's omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, he's all the omnis, he's the alpha, the omega, he knows everything, about everything, he knows all the choices that you're going to make, he knows everything, so he's sovereign, I believe that, and I also believe over here that he has given us this ability to choose whether or not we're going to follow him or not, and then here's how I wrestle with it, how those two truths come together and marry, I don't know, I got nothing there. That, that, that's one of the great mysteries of God. But I believe in both of those, and I'm okay with being in the dark. I'm okay with not understanding everything about God. And I'm okay saying, I think this is one of the greatest attributes and mysteries of God, and I wish denominations wouldn't be divided over it. Have great discussions about it, but don't be divided over it. And, and because this is God's greatest, one of his greatest mysteries. And we'll find that out. We'll find out what, the, what that means when we're uh, in, in heaven but I like what, uh, again, Pastor Phil, I mentioned this, I had lunch with him this week, and we were talking, we were talking about this very kind of topic about the mystery of God and one of the great mysteries, and we both said, do, do we really want a God that we can figure everything out, that there's no mystery? If, 
if I know how, I know how limited I am in my mental capacity up here in my brain, um, you know, if I can figure God out, we don't have a very big God. So I, I don't want to be able to figure God out. I want a God that I can't figure him out, you know, um, but I'm going to trust him and just know that he loves me and cares for me. And the only way to do that is to get to know God more and more. So anyway, don't get too hung up on that. If that was something that you hung up on with choosing God this morning, the important thing is for us to focus in on moving to the center point of God's will this morning in our lives. So how do we move into the center of God's will? What does that look like when we get there? And is there even some sort of a measurable goal for us in our lives to help us know that we are, you know, that we are there? Those are some heavy questions. I'm only going to scratch the surface uh, in the next, you know, 15 minutes that we have, 10 minutes. But here I'll say this. The better that we get to know a person, um, the more acquainted we become with his or her desires. It's very simple. Right? I've been married to my wife for 33 years, and I know a lot. while there's still great mysteries about being married to a woman that I still don't quite get from time to time. Guys, you agree with that? Yeah. Sometimes it's just hard to figure that woman out, you know? But I know, I know a lot more after 33 years. I know a lot more about her desires, her wants, her needs, and the things that, you know, and about, I know way more after 33 years than I did the first year of marriage or even the first five years of marriage or even the first 10 years of marriage. And you're continually learning and learning and learning. The more that you get to know the person, the more acquainted you become with their desires and what they want for you in your life. Same thing with parents who are closer to their kids. When you know your father, you know what your father expects, you know what your father desires. Like if you're a child and you lose your ball and your ball come, goes rolling across the road and you look at your ball going across the road, your dad doesn't have to be there even for you to go, hmm. I don't think I'm going to run across the road and get this ball because my father wouldn't know that. And the reason I know my father wouldn't know that is because I know my father. And so the same thing is true in our spiritual lives with our relationship with God. The more closely that we are walking with the Lord, obeying his word, relying on the Holy Spirit, we find that we're given then, we're given the mind of Christ. The Bible talks about that, the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ simply means I know what my Savior wants for me because I know my Savior. I know what he wants me to do because I know him and I, and I know his desires. And so we move into the center when we start to get to know God intimately through his son, Jesus Christ. And the more we know Jesus and his nature, the more we have a glimpse of the nature of God. And the more we follow Jesus, the more we are moving into the center of God's will for our lives through Jesus. The more that we are in the center of God's will, which is knowing Jesus and being known by Jesus, our lives will be more centered, and that is how we fight the inertia that is pulling against us in this culture and in our lives and in this world. So let's move to some application points here. And, and talk about moving to the center and getting to the center and how we can do that uh, better in our lives. First of all is everything you do. I mean, think about it this way. Everything you do from the time you get up in the morning and walking through the day, and then the last thing you do when you put your head on the pillow before you go to sleep, and even while you're going to sleep, if you're praying to go to sleep, sometimes I'll pray and then fall asleep. And I know that I think that's a little bit different from the guys in the garden, but I'm praying every night, sometimes till I fall, and fall asleep. Everything you do from the time you get up in the morning, the time you lay your head down is about God. Make God your very first thought on everything that you do in your life. 
And Jesus being at the center of the universe as well as our lives means that he's becoming then the dominant force which gives our life direction and gives our life purpose. I I think about it this way, to use another analogy. Just like the earth revolves around the sun, the S-U-N sun, our lives need to revolve around the sun, the S-O-N sun. The sun, S-U-N sun, doesn't revolve around the earth, right? Uh, And just like that in our spiritual lives, we need to make sure that the S-O-N son of Jesus doesn't just revolve around our life. He's the sum of everything in our life. He's everything. Every thought that we have, God is there, present. Every, Every decision that we make, every purchase that we make, every relationship that we're involved with and talking with, everything, our whole life becomes God-centered in everything. Don't make your faith an afterthought. Don't, don't make your faith a list of a set of rituals rooted in some religious guilt trip. You, you know, I've seen a lot of Christians that have done that. I'm like, no, 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 you're missing the point. Don't make God a part of your life. Make him everything and the sum of your entire life. I was counseling a guy um, who was a Christian, and he was just... He was so negative all the time, just so negative. And it was really causing marital issues. And his wife came and said, can you just talk to him? It's just draining. He's just so negative. And so I go, okay, I'll talk to him. And this guy, he was a hardworking guy. And he was the kind of guy that get up at 5 in the morning. And he had to work really, really hard. It was a hard, hard job. And, but I would ask him, I'd say, hey, so what's the first thing you think of when you get up in the morning? What's the very first thing you think of? And he goes, I say, I wake up and I go, oh, shoot, I got to go to work. Now, I edited that for a family-friendly service here this morning just a little bit. But he would go, oh, shoot, I got to go to work. And I'd go, that's it right there. That's it. We don't have to go any further. That's your problem. He goes, work? I go, no, no. Your attitude, your attitude, that's your problem, you know. I, 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 said, I said, your problem is that you're... F- your frustration, beyond your frustration from your job, you aren't thinking about God. You're not thinking about what he's already done for you. You're only thinking about what you have to do. You need to start your day thanking God for what has already been done for you in thanksgiving. Make God the very first thing you think about when you wake up and when, you, when you're having your coffee, when you pray, read his word and start your day making God the center of your life. Not what you have to do, but what's already been done for you. And it will change your life. It will change your perspective on your day. Everything you do, make, position yourself in the center of the wheel to fight the inertia in order for God to be able to do the best work in your life. Think of it this way. When you're that piece of clay and you have a master potter like God working on you and you're centered on that wheel He is masterfully creating this beautiful vessel in your life. You are the beautiful vessel. Sometimes he has to put pressure, right? He has to put pressure in order for it to be developed like that. But So just being in the center of God's will doesn't mean bad things aren't going to happen. Doesn't mean that God might put a little pressure on you to help you become what you need to become. But put your life and position your life into the center. All right, so there's seven ways. Don't limit what God can do in you and through you by being on the outside edge. Move to the center. Seven ways to do that. We'll just go through these real quick. One is submission. Submission. Be flexible and moldable as a piece of clay in the potter's hand. Don't be rigid. Don't be callous. Don't be brittle. 
Be moldable. Be flexible. Ask yourself, what does God want me to learn through this situation? This season in my life right now, what's he wanting me to learn? How can I grow closer to him in this moment rather than pulling away? Fight the inertia. Uh, And it's demonstrated about being this clay. It's demonstrated a lot through Scripture as the potter and the clay. And God says this in Isaiah 64, 8. Yet you, Lord, are are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. So be like clay. Be like clay. Be moldable, flexible. Let God do his best work in you. Second thing is confession. Confession. We need to come before the Lord. Admit your sins to God. Ask for his forgiveness and accept it with gratitude and thanksgiving and humility and realize that he's forgiven you. We already kind of talked about that. The third thing is Bible study. Bible study. You can't truly know the nature of God unless you get to know him. And the best way to get to know him is to find yourself in God's word. Do not, do not, do not rely on me for your Bible study. Do not. It's one of the big mistakes that Christians will make. Don't rely on a 30-minute message from a pastor for your Bible study. That needs to happen every single day in your life for what you're doing. You need to feed yourself. If you're waiting on me to feed you 30 minutes once a week, you're going to starve to death. And so, like, I love to hear, like, like Julie and Robert and Ed and Michelle and different ones of our, our leaders are really, they're really locked in on this and studying Scripture together and with their wives and praying together. You need, every one of us, every single one of us that are following after Christ need to make Bible study a part of our life. The fourth thing is use your God-given gifts. Use your God-given talents that God's given you. Use that for his kingdom. You know, this is known as service. God gives every one of us specific talents and specific spiritual gifts. Don't, it's not up to me. I, God's only given me a couple. You know, you, you, I, I'm going to have some gifts that you don't have, but you're going to have gifts that I don't have. That's why it's an all-member ministry. Every single one of us helping, using our gifts before the Lord. What happens is when we use our gifts, we're actually helping others. But in, in the process of helping others when we're using our gifts that God's given us, we're actually, it's part of our own spiritual formation in our life. We actually grow when we're using the gifts that God's given us. For instance, if you're a teacher, you know, when you're teaching others, you may say, well, I don't know that I'm, I don't even know that I'm um, um, qualified to teach like that. Well, you know, keep, keep leaning into it and you're going to grow in the process. You're going to help other people and then you're going to grow in the process. I kind of described it like this. I think I shared this story with you. About, about 15 years ago, I went to the dentist. I've been since then. But uh, about 15 years ago, I went to the dentist and Dr. Lee, he's, great, he's a great friend. And he comes out and he goes, hey, you got some work that needs to be done. And um, it's going to be about $2,500. And I was like, oh, $2,500. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit more, and, and he said, hey, you're, you're a guitar player, aren't you? I said, yeah, I've been playing, you know. And he goes, I can see it on your fingers. You have calluses on your fingers. He goes, do you, uh, do you do guitar lessons? And I went, um, I had never played, I had never done guitar lessons before. And I went, uh, yes, why yes, yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. He said, how much do you charge? $2,500. <laughs> so... I actually taught him, I taught him guitar for years and years, and, uh, and, and I had about seven or eight other students, and it kind of started a little uh, side, side money thing for me, and you get to spend some time. And, but here's what happened. I just had to stay one step ahead 
of the students that I was teaching, just one step ahead. And I was able, and today there's a few guitar players running around out there that I taught them how to play guitar. But here's what really happened in the process of that. I actually became a better guitar player because I was learning and I was learning and t- so I could teach it and I became a better guitar player. Well, here's the same thing can happen in your life spiritually. When you're using your spiritual gifts for the Lord like this and not hiding them and not holding on to them, you're doing, you're doing this, you're helping somebody else, but you're also building your own spiritual maturity in your life as well. Fifth thing is prayer, prayer. Communicate with God daily, hourly, constantly. It's a never stop praying kind of a lifestyle and attitude. Don't be like the husband that said, I told you I love you when we got married, and if that changes, I'll let you know. You know, <laughs> Don't be like that guy. You know, Don't be like that guy. Prayer is an essential part in moving to the center. The sixth thing is to be generous, giving, giving to the Lord. This is not just a preacher up here trying to get you to give more money to the church. I know that's what a lot of people think. All the church is just only about your money. No, God talks about money more than any other topic. 2,000 verses on money and only about 500 on prayer and 500 on faith. There's a reason why God talks about us being generous so much. It's because he knows that money can matter too much to us. And we can make money our master. The love of money is the root of all evil, right? Not money, the love of money. And so God wants us to live like this generously. And when we begin practicing that, we're actually moving to the center we're moving to the center of God's will for our life because he was so generous, he wants us to be generous. And that's just a biblical truth. And when we're generous like this, we're shouting to the top of our lungs that our God is faithful and he will provide no matter what for me in my life. So when you're practicing generosity, you're moving towards the center of God's will. The seventh thing, last one, and these are not in a, uh, they're not in any priority order. In fact, the last one's worship. And it probably should be number one because that's what we're created for. You and I, we were actually created for worship. Uh, Giving credit. Worship is giving credit to where credit is due. And that's what worship is is really about. And it comes from this word, worthship. Worthship. What is God worth to you? Worship comes from worthship. What is God worth to you? He should be worth everything to you. The sum of your entire life. What is it that you worship? And when we purposefully, willingly, and regularly worship on a daily basis, uh, whatever method that is that you worship. It's not always just singing. We sometimes associate worship with just singing. No, worship encompasses so much more than just singing. We're, We're describing to God the worth, the worth in our lives for what he's done for us. You can worship God by singing. We're going to do that, right, Holly? Uh, we're, we're going to, we can worship him by thanking him. We worship him by praying and thanking him for what he's done for us. We worship him by recognizing his actions in our life and in the world around us. We, we actually worship him when we're sharing the truth of what God has done for us. We're, when we share that truth and the story of what God's done with other people. You see, when we, when we share that, we're, we're saying, this is great worth to you. If you found a cure for cancer today, you couldn't imagine holding on to that and keeping that a secret, right? You would want to share with the entire world the cure. 
same thing. Jesus is the answer for this life. And as Christ followers, we shouldn't be holding on to that as a secret. We should let that, when, when we begin to share that, we're actually joining God at the center. Um, and we're honoring his majesty with faithful obedience. All right, let's, uh, let's stand and pray together. And I hope as, you know, we've kind of taken this uh, new name and new logo. I hope this will be a reminder for us in all of our lives to really move to the center and make God the central part of our entire being and our entire lives. I'm going to pray for you. Before I do, I just want to tell you, next Sunday, uh, you don't want to miss it. I'm going to do something very different. For, I'm, going to, I'm going to have a couple families on the stage, and their story is a story that you do not want to miss because God's doing a really a cool thing in a couple families in our church, and it's big enough. We need to share this out, and it's going to be in the community and everything. I hope that you'll come and see what God's going to be up to next week. Uh, I'm looking forward to that too because I don't know how it's going to play out yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. I think you're, you're not going to want to miss it. Hey, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the way that you forgive us and you can forget about it. And help us to be able to not dwell on our sins, but to forgive ourselves the way you've forgiven us. To only look back as a point of reference for how much you've forgiven us and how great your grace and mercy is and to make sure that we don't ever want to go back to that place again but help us to forgive ourselves. Help us, Father, as we all are trying our best to move into the center, to be in that sweet spot that allows you to do the best work in our lives. And when we do, when we're that way, God, we're gonna know you so intimately and so closely. We're gonna know your will even more and more. And then from there, Father, would we share that with the people in our community. In Jesus' name, amen.